Hey, Paul. Hey. hey. So, sorry, we start. We got to start over. You did this to us again. I did. No rock, paper, scissors this time, though. Right. You have to figure out how to respond when I start by saying, hey, Paul. Right. Okay. Hey, Paul. Hey, Sherry. What's going on? Not too much. Pretty cool. You ready to do a thing? Yeah, let's do a thing. Are you ready? Let's do it. I'm going to press another button. One, two, three. everybody you're listening to an episode of this most unbelievable life yes we're so glad you're listening if you've been listening for a while you know my voice i'm dr sherry spiegel and my co-host is my dear friend dr paul fitzgerald that's right folks i'm dr paul fitzgerald and i'm happy to welcome you to season five of the podcast i'm honored to be here once again with my co-host dr sherry spiegel as we work to discover, along with you, our own most unbelievable lives. Thank you for listening. Yes. That's uh, pretty cool stuff. You know, we never listen to our own. Well, I don't. I don't listen to our own theme music very often. No, I don't either. You know, the only time I do is to make sure that the levels are like mixed well yeah. before the episode goes up. But that's not what we're doing today. Yeah, so all of our listeners missed the opportunity that I just had, which is watching Paul dance to our music. Yeah, two-minute duration. Yeah, it's it's funky, right? And uh, that's that's essentially how these music selections are made mm-hmm. uh, for what we use for seasonal opening stuff. Is whether or not it it gives me the the feels, but I've never done that before because it's like. Oh, wow. You know, they start the show by listening to their own theme music. And no, we don't. (laughs) That some magically that all gets added in after the recording gets done in what we call post-processing. Yeah. Or I guess what what other people call post-processing. Yeah. Feels like magic to me because I don't do it. Do it. It's like, wow, that doesn't sound. (laughs) I didn't hear that when we recorded originally. No, you did not. No. Oh, so here we are live. Yeah, here we are live. We're trying something uh, something kind of new and different here. Um, Podbean has this awesome feature where um, we can uh, live, live stream. You know, it's called Podbean Live, and it lets us be quote unquote on air. It yeah. lets us be on air. And um, it seemed like a reasonable thing for me to do for a, a couple of reasons to to think about doing this and Thank you, Sherry, for entertaining the idea of this. But we have talked about this before. So it's, you know, I don't want to give people the impression um, of that. Um, But when we, when we record the podcast, as we often usually do, I mean, I don't go back in there and change stuff. I mean, it requires little to no editing. You sort of get what you sort of get. So it's like, this is really nothing different to me. Same time, same day, same platform, same equipment, you know, just going out live. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the only difference is that uh, today we don't have one in the bag, and usually we do. Uh, yeah. So, Paul, we actually did not record a podcast last week. We didn't. We didn't. Uh, we spent that week doing uh, some personal time, having some chats, getting caught up on what's the what. And um, this gives us this wonderful opportunity of of going live. Mm-hmm. Why not? Yeah. See what happens. 
Yeah, there's something to be said for being a little, I don't like this, but I think a little bit of flexibility. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, but I mean, today, these days, I mean, look what, look at all the things that we've gotten used to over the last year, mm. you know, and, you know, last March when we recorded the first one in your office, it's like, oh, that's not that hard at all. What could possibly go wrong? We have this down already. And then the next thing you know, we don't need to go into that story. So um, technological players start to, you know, uh, come to the fore with offering technological solutions for all of our professional needs as pings in this, in this world over the last year. And, and this is, this is one of them. So um, you got a platform where you can go live. Why not do it? Why not give it a shot? See how it goes. Um, and the added benefit is this is our first time doing it. So if anything goes really wrong, it's like, Hey man, it's our first time. Yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think what you said earlier, like it's true. Like we've been recording now for over a year. We've never really gone in and edited out content. Like mm -hmm. we just, whatever happens is what happens. So why not do it live? Yeah. Um, I think there was even, uh, there was one time we recorded and I, I will not say what episode or what happened. <laughs> uh, but before we recorded, there was one thing that I was like, Paul, we can talk about anything, but let's not talk about this thing. And I right. can see your eyes, uh, while we were recording that moment when we both realized we had entered the territory, we agreed not to talk about Right. But even right. that went out as was. Yeah. Um, I think I might have to take some responsibility for that occurrence because I think it was me where it's like, Paul, let's not talk about this thing on this episode. I'm like, okay. And not 15 minutes later. So Sherry, what do you think about this specific thing? That <laughs> Then it was immediately, it was like, oh, shoot. You know? Oh, well. How gracefully uh, uh, you responded to my ineptitude on that. Well, it's interesting because I think it's, I mean, that was like, well, I appreciate the, like the sentiment and the regret that's spoken there. Like, I think part of it was, you know, you know, it's not the real, the real deep stuff, right? Like, yeah, you know better than to bring up the real, the real thing, yeah, the real, the real dark sherry yeah, side, the real kryptonite. Um, and uh, that's part of it as well, though. I mean, I think when we think about what this art and craft of podcasting really is, it's like. You know, it, it's very counter to um, one of my interests, and this should at this point be no surprise to anyone. I am a, a meditation practitioner. Mm -hmm. I will offer that. Um, been so for, for a while. And, you know, one of the reinforced lessons that we learn as a practitioner and as a meditation teacher over and over and over again, and it's right and it's true. It's like the silence can do the work. You don't have to fill every little nook and cranny of space with words. We don't have to be talking all the time. Silence can do amazing things. Well, not on a podcast, it doesn't. So um, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. And maybe that's part of why we didn't record last week. We had a lot of other territory that mm -hmm. we needed to cover that does not an interesting podcast make. Yeah, it is not an right. interesting podcast make. An interesting conversation amongst friends makes, but a podcast, well, not all conversations are public. Um, you know, sometimes we talk about other things too, believe it or not. And um, so what got us into this gig, you know, originally was, oh, what witty banter, what droll repartee, what... Uh, <laughs> What compelling conversations, you know, we have, we should record these and we sort of went down the rabbit hole from there. Yeah. Well, and it's, I think it's sometimes, 
I've been thinking about, I've been thinking a lot about observer effect, right? Um, and I think part of this is because you and I sat in on each other's classes last week. Um, but I've been wondering, like, we do, ha we have great rapport. We banter well. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I think that the podcast is actually less authentically us in banter mode. And like, what, like, you know what I mean, right? Like yeah. we sound different together when, when we've pushed the button. Yeah, we do. Um, I, I think I talk a little, I mean, this is all just skill sets. You know, I do talk a little slower. I try to articulate my words somewhat more intentionally, right? Um, because if it was just you and me, I was, was what's going on, you know, just kind of mumble at each other um, as, or I would mumble at you. Uh, I don't know if you would mumble back. Um, but it is a little different. And that just kind of speaks to it. You know, there is a little more intentionality that goes into the actual craft of the podcast, which um, uh, requires a little bit of work and a little effort. And it doesn't happen by itself on the podcast. We, we do try, you know, uh, a little bit with, you know, appreciating the fact that others are, are listening. Right. So there is that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's certain things like, I think we try to be mindful of the fact that we've told certain stories on the podcast before. Um, but then at the same time, like we're all creatures of habit who yeah. like, we love our favorite stories. And so we told them over and over right, again. Right, um, right. Welcome to the Sherry experience. You get three stories. She tells them a lot. Yeah, right. right, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's kind of, kind of interesting um, yeah. how recording shapes banter. It is. It is. And it's, I mean, I've seen this happen many times before. It's like, you know, there's this risk that is, is real that as soon as a button gets pressed where it gets recorded, um, then it's like banter shuts down completely. It's like, once you know you're being recorded, it's like, you know, that that's a conversation killer. Not always the case. Right. So, you know, that was our, that was the first test I think that we had to do in this was when, um, you know, when, when recording is, start, is happening, is is it maintained and i'm happy to say that i think it has which yeah. is kind of which is kind of neat yeah i think so um why do we like banter so much like first of all i don't think every person can banter um eric and i talk about this all the time like we have certain friends that are banter people and mm -hmm. then you have certain friends you love them but you know they're not a banter person right what right. is it about banter that is just so dang enjoyable. Yeah, I don't know. And it seems, it seems like something that's hard to intentionally do. It's sort of, I, I think I find myself discovering that I'm doing it, but it's like, there's wit involved. There might be a little bit of sass. Um, yeah. There is enjoyment to it. And I think, it, so it's like all these sort of different qualities plug into this nature of banter a little yeah. bit. Um, in unscripted, unscripted ways. Right. Well, and it's interesting. I think that that's one of the, um, one of the biggest difference between when we're recording and when we're not, I think I am more sassy at you when we're not recording. Yeah, maybe. But like, my fear is that like out of context, people will be like, why is she being so mean to yeah. Paul? Yeah. It's like, no, no, he loves it. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> usually yeah uh, so, <laughs> uh 
Um, so, uh, so yeah, it is interesting. I mean, in, intentional banter or our intentional banter is not too different from our actual banter though. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a joy and it's a, it's a joy to try to do neat new stuff. Like, uh, let's live stream this thing, you know, mm -hmm. and, and see what happens. Um, I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Ah, so what are we talking about today? Well, I think the suggestion might have been made um, that a good topic for today as we enter into um, the springtime months and the warmer weather and longer days is to just kind of what we're into, right, as we move in. I don't know if this is, is it about hobbies or is it about um, intentions or um, what intentions are becoming hobbies or how do you make a hobby out of an intention? Or maybe finding enjoyment. Yeah. Because that's what, right? Like hobbies, activities, things where we enjoy ultimately, all of those things. Uh, intentional space for enjoyment. That's a good point. Yeah. So why do people do the hobbies that they do? It's like, what do you get out of a hobby? Because it's right. like there's, there's work and yeah. then there's hobbies. Right. You know, I mean, that's the, that's the ultimate worst icebreaker of all time. It's like, what are your hobbies? Tell me about your hobbies. What are your hobbies? It's like, why is this in a job interview? Wouldn't you rather hear about my skill set? <laughs> you know, why do you want to hear about what I'm doing when I'm not working? Yeah. You know, hobbies. Uh, I got a couple. Do you? Yeah. What do you, do you, you I, got a few? I think so. Some of them are a little dormant right now, I think. Hmm. Hmm. Um, but let me see if I can guess some of Paul's okay. hobbies. Well, uh, no spoilers. Well, actually, this, is right? a, this is a guessing game. Like, I know what your yeah, hobbies are. Yeah, it's like, you know what my hobbies are. You know, okay, so why don't you just tell the good people? Well, what makes a hobby? Because, I mean, when I think about all the stuff that I do, you know, um, when I think about which of these things are hobbies, I sort of think about all the all the wacky other stuff that Paul does that, that not everybody knows about, maybe. Um, or when when... I tell somebody about it, they go, oh, that's curious. I didn't know that you did that. I mean, is that what our hobbies are? Because I, I think this sort of plugs in a little bit of that conversation where, you know, the, the original icebreaker was, uh, ooh, where do you work? What do you do? You know, which is really a, you know, what do you do for money conversation? Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, I work at the drive-thru down at 7-Eleven or not, not that 7-Elevens have drive-thrus. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm a, what, you know, and you sort of, you sort of pick from the drop-down list of different employment or career options that have been chosen. And you offer that as if that is you, right? That you're identifying with that in some sort of meaningful way, which some people are, if, if we, those who are fortunate enough to identify with or, or see some identification a little bit with what their jobs are. Yeah. But a lot of people are not, you know, it's like sometimes we don't always have jobs that really resonate with what you really, really, really want to do. And that can be okay though. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's like, I don't want to have a job doing what my hobbies are. I think most of them, because it's like, I don't know what that would do. Yeah. Well, when we start getting into hobbies, this can clarify itself a little bit. Well, and like, so one of the things that I've thought about is that line between hobby and work does it, like, sometimes it can become very delicate. Um, so like, for example, I teach mystery and film and literature. Um, and I, when I, 
but when I choose what I'm reading, I often do not choose the mystery genre, but I used to. Mm-hmm. Mystery used to be my favorite genre to read casually, but now that I teach it, um, every time I'm reading a mystery novel, it feels like work. Interesting. Uh-huh. Interesting. So, yeah. So now, like, I much prefer, and, and this is one of the reasons I've never taught our science fiction class, and I'm okay with that. Um, in part because science fiction stays my hobby. Yeah. And then the mystery is my work. Right. That's interesting. I don't know if I knew that. Um, uh, the that uh, that explanation of that. But yeah, you do get that sense of that. It's like if if I started doing what some of my hobbies are for a job, they would feel like they were infected with something that I don't want them to be associated with. Yeah. Does that, does, I mean, does that make it somehow related to, oh, you know, I I just want to be able to do something that nobody is, to something autonomous. You know, Mm -hmm. I just want to be able to do something that somebody is not even have, having the appearance of coercing me into doing. It's like, I am, I am doing this thing that has maybe even virtually no practical economic value. And I'm spending because I'm spending money on this thing that there is no chance of being recompensated for with the output of what this is. Um, I'm doing it for enjoyment. And once, once money comes anywhere close to that, I mean, once, once money comes anywhere close to that, yeah, you know, you run a risk, I think of it becoming uh, not quite as, I don't know. Well, money changes everything, it right? Does, yeah, it does. You know, I'm trying to think what the right word is. You know, it... it mm. hmm Yeah. Icky. So, Icky. It, ickified, ickified, right? Yeah. yeah. So what are your hobbies, Paul Fitzgerald? What are my hobbies? Um, you know, part of me thinks you should ask Shauna. She would know better than I would. Because, um, again, it's like, what are the weird things that I do? Um most of them are on display in one way or another in this room. Um, I do enjoy gardening quite a lot, especially in the summer. I don't enjoy it too much in the winter because there's none to be done. Um, but I know that I do. Um, we grow stuff. I mean, we got a garden plot up here in, uh, in old Restonville and um, we get, I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. You know, the, by June, I have the farmer's tan to end all farmer's tans. It's fantastic. I see it as a sign of, uh, freedom and, and bliss at farmer's tan. Um, I grow a lot of stuff, you know, we try to do some good things some leafy greens and all this and that. I have a little experimental plot where I grow extraordinarily hot chili peppers, like the stuff that you need a license to carry pretty much that mm-hmm. ghost peppers and the Trinidad scorpions, my favorite and the Carolina reapers and stuff like that. But I mean, how many, how many of those plants does one really need? I mean, this is all personal use situation. You right. know, it's like, I need to grow one plant every five years to satisfy, you know, my, my Scoville fix for, for chili pepper. So, but I do it anyway. And I give a lot of them away just because people get a kick out of um, the shamanistic qualities of extreme pain and suffering through through the chili pepper it's like this is spirit quest level spiciness so just this is not some jalapeno you got at safeway by the way yeah you know um yeah growing a lot of stuff and in in, um, i've sent pictures before you know how much i enjoy gardening and getting up there and get my hands dirty and i don't wear gloves i just go up there and get all filthy and 
see what grows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Farmer Paul. That's one of those. Yeah. It's a, it's not a year round, right? It's a, it's a, we're in zone seven, believe it or not, right here in Virginia. So mm-hmm. not too much happens between November and March, April. So you're up there. We got seeds in the ground. Yeah. I do think that there's something that like, there are something tangible that changes in Paul when he's been at the garden. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, these faculty jobs that we have just separate us so far from the earth. Well, you know, you know what's they, funny is I don't think it's just faculty jobs. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm speaking for myself, right? And partially maybe some of you, you know, uh, as well, Dr. Spiegel. Um, yeah. it's like, I could, you know, this is sort of the Manhattan problem. I mean, we could spend our entire lives never seeing a, a tree and nobody would be any the wiser, you know, just because of the nature that our jobs, you know, or our jobs happen from the neck up. Yeah. And yeah. it's like to, to actually go out and have a, do that and then do some gardening and get your hands dirty and spread Fairfax County mounted police horse manure over you know, 200 square feet of garden space. It's like, it's almost countercultural to the craft of pedagogy and teaching. I mean, it's an act of revolution. I will not think, thank you very much this day. I will use um, my other parts of myself to do productive things besides just think about fancy things and tell you about them. Yeah. You know, um, so I, I dig that part of it. it. It's something else. It's something different. It's, it's, mm-hmm. you couldn't be farther removed. You know, and someone could say, oh, but aren't you planting seeds in our wonderful youth of tomorrow? And it's like, I'm not going to answer that question. (laughs) I'm going to the garden. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I do think that there, right? Like, so there are ways in which the garden plot probably touches like parts of what you do as a biology professor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Sure, like you and I sat at a park and had a long conversation about photosynthesis last week. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we I'm did. sure that knowledge is not irrelevant to the work that you do in the right the garden plot, but you're not doing it because no, I'm not. And I mean, because yeah, I mean, there are there are secondary perks of of the whole thing. I mean, I've I've grown a bunch of radishes and taking them to my class and we had radish and butter sandwiches a delicacy you know appetizer delightful you know it's like sometimes when the mustard greens come in you get like a lot of them it's like you go from none to 15 plants and it's like wow i can't eat these all at once you know here you want some mustard greens you right and some enjoyment of you know just like hey i grew these here you go yeah um kind of thing something's keeping some things don't right so i mean and so I find other ways, I found other ways that bring either me or others joy with the garden, mm-hmm. you know, and it's good to get out of the house. It's good to get some vitamin D. It's good to get in the sun. It's good to get your hands dirty, you know, all, and I'm, I'm not sure why, well, with vitamin D, I do know why, but yeah. with the rest of these things, it's like, it's just good to get outside, stop looking at screens, do something else completely different. Right. It'll be better at the other thing if you do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, that was the first hobby that came to my mind for you when we started to think about hobbies. Yeah, might I ask what a hobby of yours is? Ah, oh, I was afraid you would do that. Of so, course I would. Of course I would. 
Yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard right now because so before the pandemic, I would have answered this question very easily. Um, and where I'm at right now, I think I'm in a little bit of a question mark with it. So before the pandemic, I would have said that I have three main hobbies. Mm -hmm. Um, I am or was, am, I don't know yet. Um, so I would have said that I am an avid board game player. Uh Um, in particular, I have a propensity for, uh, crunchy European economic board games. Crunchy. Crunchy. Meaning they crunch your brain. Ah. So super thinky, um, really, really, really nerdy games. Um, not, un- I mean, you would probably appreciate many of them. Um, cause a lot of them are, you know, like a game like viticulture where your goal is to, uh, you know, grow your own grapes and then turn them into, uh, wine and sell the wine and have the more profitable winery than your opponents. We can get behind that. Yeah, but all like they are very complicated. The rule books tend to be long. Um, and I love that kind of board game. Um, and I'm very good at them. Like obnoxiously good. At Other them. people don't stand much of a chance. Huh? Yeah. So we used to go to a lot of board game meetups and like uh my friend Sean's favorite thing basically seems to be watching like unexpecting guys who decide to play a game with us and underestimate me and get obliterated. That's his favorite hobby, I think. Um, And so like I used to have a Thursday night board game group and I used to joke that on Thursdays I'd be boys at board games. Um, But our gaming group hasn't played together for over a year. So that's tricky. We'll talk a little bit more about why we don't always do two player homes uh, games in the Spiegel household. Uh in a fight well no but um well we'll come back to that. Okay. <laughs> the other things that i um would consider hobbies is like we used to do tuesday night trivia mm-hmm. uh bar trivia i love uh doing that even though i'm not exceptionally good at it um and then the other thing is uh i collect vinyl records mm-hmm. i knew that yeah i knew about that one i knew about the board games as well i didn't think of it as a hobby Though, but the yeah. vinyl records, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so all of those things, like I kind of see as hobbies, but one of the things that's hard for me about hobbies is I get really into things for very short periods of time. Yeah. Um, so I lose interest. When we used to have a backyard, we had a garden, right? Um, so for me, having a sustainable hobby is hard. Uh, but I do think board games have been one for, like, I can come back to. Yeah, it seems like that one's stuck. Yeah. Yeah, for quite a while. For quite a yeah. while. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the reasons, um, like, Eric and I don't play as many board games together is because the kinds of players that we are, we don't shine the best in two-player situations. Mm. So what Eric likes to do as a board gamer is he likes to try out the most bizarre strategy possible. (laughs) And (laughs) so when that strategy doesn't play out, you know, he loses. (laughs) Yeah, right. 
Right. Which probably happens more uh, often than. Right. Yeah. But, so, but sometimes if we're playing in like a three player scenario, his bizarro strategy will just happen to work out. This happens a lot. Like if we're That's playing so interesting. That's so interesting. Yeah. So if we're playing a three player game, a lot of times the before mentioned Sean, Sean and I are so fiercely competitive against each other that we'll be so busy, like screwing with each other that we won't notice that Eric's rando strategy is succeeding. Mm. And so he'll beat us. But when it's just the two of us, um, it tends not to, to play out that way. Um, so I think that the game is more interesting at at least three players. Yeah. Right. Because of the kind of players we are. It's been years since I played anything more than just a, as a two player situation. I mean, this, you know, we got a couple of board games downstairs, you know, but it, it's been, it was post pandemic before we started playing anything. So, I mean, this whole thing of we're going to get together and play board games. It's like, I've never done that. I've never done that. You know, we used to play Monopoly growing up when I was a kid, which I love. Right. And you literally just like gagged. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love Monopoly. Uh, it's just can't find anybody to play with, you know? Um, well, so we might have different experiences yeah, uh, with maybe, Monopoly. Maybe, maybe. And one of our sometimes listeners of this podcast is my brother and my brother could tell you exactly why I dislike the game Monopoly. And the answer is my brother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He yeah. knows. He knows. Well, yeah, I don't have any of those kind of experiences with it. All, all my memories are, uh, you know, I, I didn't always win, but my memories are fond. You know, it's like, oh, my sister always got boardwalk. And I was like, why? Why? I always went for the railroads myself. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. We had a whole bunch of board games when we were growing up. The old school classic stuff, you know. Um, and then life intervenes and I don't know. I, I mean, but that's not even a hobby when you're 10, you know, that's just something that you do as part of growing up, I think. Um, yeah, there's, there are actually a few board games that I think I would really like to get on a table between mm. uh, the two of us, Shauna and Eric. And- yeah. Starsky and Hutch. Got the old classic Milton Bradley Starsky and Hutch game. I lifted that from the basement before, uh, before I left. I don't know what to do. It's like, yeah, Craigslist, eBay. It's like, what what do I do with this thing? You could donate it to the boardwalk, which is uh, gaming. Yeah, Um, I might. I mean, that's, that's certainly in the, in the realm of possibility. I mean, so if you are playing a board game, do you consider yourself competitive? Yes. Yeah. That's what I thought. Hashtag Aries. Yes. You and I playing a board game could be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty competitive when it comes to, comes to this kind of stuff. Oh, let's just play and have fun. Oh no. Oh no. Right. (laughs) We can, we can do that, but make no mistake. Right. We can play. Some people may have fun and then I will win. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, That's kind of why I saw it too. Um, But yeah. uh, Any others, any other board, any other hobbies? Any other hobbies, would you say? I don't know. I mean, I think it's hard. Um, I love cooking, but whether or not I call, like, it's tr- like it's tricky. What is a hobby? Yeah, it is. It's like cooking is too far down on Maslow's hierarchy to not be considered a biological necessity. So it's like, is cooking a hobby? It's like, well, you have to eat. So yes. does that preclude oh. cooking from being a hobby? Does it only hobby if you don't have to? 
I think I can tell when I'm in the kitchen as a hobbyist and when I'm in the kitchen hmm. as a person feeding myself. That's a good point. Right? Um, yeah. So like, for example, when I eat lunch, when I'm home by myself, that is not a hobby endeavor. Like, in fact, rarely are there plates. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I tend to eat over the sink. Yeah, I was going to say eat over the sink. Uh, right, like halfway out of the fridge. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like sometimes if it's just like quick meal prep, like it's, there's, n- I guess for me, when it feels like I'm, it's a hobby is when I'm approaching it as an art instead of uh, a biological need. Hmm. You know, like, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I, I do quite a lot of the cooking over here, although that's not, I mean, hundred percent true. I mean, um, trying to make soup, trying to make that's really good. soup. yeah, we just had some last night. It was really good soup. Um, when I, when I'm, when I do the cooking, when I cook dinner or whatever it is, it's like, I rarely do things that involve any amount of risk whatsoever. Nothing's going to get burnt. Nothing's going to get, um, clashing flavors or, or kind of whatever it is, you know, I'm sure not following a recipe, you know, I'm just kind of taking what's, you know, in the, in the warehouse of my own experience already and just sort of rocking something out, you know, um, I could very easily see myself going down a bit of a rabbit hole on curry sauces, you know, mm-hmm. as a hobby, you know, and, and how to make these things, but, um, which I do every once in a while, right. Mm-hmm. It's, but it's, it's by far not the, not the bulk of what I do in the kitchen, but you know, I can, I can see that. Right. So being able to sort of parse theirs out, like which, which, what cooking is a hobby and what cooking is not. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, it's like I'm eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich because I have a cooking hobby. No, you're eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I mean, they quite cut it. Right. Right. Well, yeah. So, I mean, um, like a lot of times in the winter I'll start making bread. I didn't this winter. Um, but it's not because we need bread because we can buy that at mm-hmm. the Trader Joe's, yeah, right? Right, like, right? Um, so it's more like, you know, it, experimental. Um, two of my favorite books in the world are the Flavor Bible and the Vegetarian Flavor Bible. I have not heard of those. Oh, yeah, they are my favorite things. So you look up an ingredient and it tells you the other things that go well. Oh, cool, it. cool. Um, And so my favorite time to cook is actually when it's almost time to go to the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And there's just the weirdest oddball things in the fridge. And what can I build? Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. It's sort of, you open, yeah, you open the fridge door. It's like, what can I do here? Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I'll be like, okay, so I've got, I've got Turkey. Cool. What goes especially well with Turkey that I was that I'm not thinking about right Right, now. Right. Right. It's a complimentary um, thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's one of my favorite cookbooks. I mean, it's not a cookbook, right? It's a list. Yeah, right. You know, and they bold the things that go really well. That's really convenient. I need to check yeah. that one. What's the name? What's it called? It's the Flavor Bible. The Flavor Bible. I'll check There's that one out. There's a vegetarian one. Yeah, I'll check that one out. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very mm-hmm. cool. Um, I, had, I had a hobby once it didn't take. Hmm. Yeah, it's like I want there are a couple of things like I want them to be hobbies, but I just can't get there. It's like every time I've tried, it's like, you know, it's just for some reason, just don't do it. Yeah. 
Um, Go on, for example. Um, well, it turns out these these this list typically is falls into like the musical instrument category. Mm, it seems. Mm-hmm. I've always really, 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 really wanted uh, to learn how to play um, like a like a, a native cedar flute. The didgeridoo. Yeah, the didge, right? That's the uh, essentially the out the original you know, Aboriginal Australian version, right? But it's like every culture has a flute of, of some kind or another, right? There's these beautiful, you know, Native American cedar flutes. Um. Uh, just beautiful, just beautiful, great sound. It's like, I, I really want, but it's like, I, I just can't get myself to actually do it though. You know, like I can buy an El Cheapo one on Amazon for 30 bucks, just like fool with it. And, but it's like, I just don't, it's like, I really want to. So it's like when, when I was like, I, I wish that was a hobby, but it's not. And I don't know why it's not because maybe it feels like my schedule is full. It's like for, to bring that in as a hobby, I'd have to like one in one out. And what what hobby do I get rid of so I can fit this? Shauna has this rule with 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 books, right? That I've been she suggested to me, and I've been using it, right? For every book I get, I have to get rid of one. And there's plenty of those little mini libraries around on the walks that we take that I can stash something in. I might yeah. just start using those as like a pawn shop, though. You know, I can I can take a book I need to get rid of and put it in there, and you know, maybe in a week I'll see if it's still there and swap it out for something else. Yeah. Well, um, it's backup storage. <laughs> yeah, backup storage of the little library. Um, it's interesting though, the failed hobby, especially related to musical instruments. So I've I've almost played many instruments. Yeah, yeah, right. Right. right? Like right. so I took like a few piano lessons. I played clarinet in uh, high school, middle school. Um my dad got me a bass for my 16th birthday. Oh, nice. You still have it? He still does. He still does. Yeah, I was going to say, wait a second. That's not what you so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, like, bass is still, like, my favorite, like, instrument within a band. Like, um, you you know a piece of music has me if it has a good bass line. Yeah, like, right. Um, oh, like. This is why I really got into fish. Fish became a hobby for a while. Yeah. Still is maybe. Um, like Mike Gordon's bass lines are just a thing of beauty. Uh, Jay Bentley's bass lines mm. in religion. Like I love a bass line. But to play the bass? Oh, no, no. Um, I also bought a concertina. No, Neat. squeeze box. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And I really had this image. Like I really wanted to be good at playing the squeeze box. Um Here's the thing with my hobbies. I can't persist at a hobby if I'm not immediately good at it. Um, yeah. Interesting. I mean, maybe I could. I just, what I know about me is I don't like being bad at things. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I don't either. There are some things that I know that I could get better at. Um, one of the hobbies that I have, and you know of this one as well, um, it, I don't want to, I don't necessarily want to call it collecting, but it almost is collecting, um, fountain pens and dip pens, like ink, mm-hmm. old, old school ink, dip pens and fountain pens, both modern and retro. I, you know, and believe it or not, the best place that I've, I've found to find, um, old vintage fountain pens are like antique shops in yeah. rural places always have, 
you know, some, you know, stash somewhere in there in the back, in the back room that has a bunch of old fountain pens in it. And I really dig that a lot. And yeah. um, I think most of the joy that I get out of this is not in writing with an old fountain pen that I find in an antique shop somewhere. It's getting it to work. Mm. It's it's like it's the rehab of it. You know, it's like I got this thing for 10 bucks. This one of my one of the ones that works the best, one of my favorites. I got it for 10 bucks in an antique shop in Sebastian, Florida, on the main drag a couple of years ago for 10 bucks. Like, and it's like I with, with a lever fill on it, you know, where you have to put the tip in the ink and you flip the lever and it kind of suctions. Yeah. It's like, there's no way this thing is going to work again. There's no way this thing actually works, but it's 10 bucks. What are you going to do? And it's like, I had that thing rocking within, within a week, you know, I had to clean it out a little bit and give it a little bit of TLC. And it's a, it's a great little pen. It's a great little pen, great, you know, that's driving me crazy, not working. I'm going to send it to you and you can fix yeah, the it. The ones work well, it's the, these newer ones sometimes, you know, and you know, I'm a fan of the pilot metropolitan, you know, but that's they, the one I'm having. Yeah. They do dry with. out. They do dry out sometimes though. So you gotta be. I'm going to send it to help you with your hobby. You can fix yeah. mine. And I, I, whenever I, I, re, uh, I, I refill the, uh, the ink more often than not because it's dried out rather than I've used it, uh-huh. you know, yeah. uh, which is, which is kind of fun, but I really dig, I really dig that the fountain pen thing. And um, so that's been, that's been a fun hobby. That's been a fun hobby. It is a good hobby. Um, yeah, I guess you kind of got me into fountain pens too. Um, and I think, well, so I don't know. I, I don't have the same kind of hobby because I don't go picking them up at, mm-hmm. I don't go to uh, old antique shops quite the regularity that you do. Um, but I think the only pens I write with at this juncture are all fountain pens. Yeah. yeah and yeah, I yeah. feel so unhappy if I'm forced to have to write with a, a ballpoint pen. Yeah, I was like, oh, um, have some respect for yourself, right? right um, <laughs> when I went away to the that cottage in the woods over spring break, one of the horrors of that time was I brought two fountain pens with me, but not any fountain pen ink. Oh yeah, and I ran out of that's ink. A, that's a problem. I mean, not like I did not run out of ink. I have plenty of ink, as you well know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Tons. Um, but it was all at home. So I had to write like for two days with morning pages, um, just with, uh, you know, with just these basic pens. Yeah. Right. Terrible. Yeah. So, but you know, cause now whenever I have like a ballpoint pen, like a, like a big crystal pen, it's like, I can't write with this thing. I can't even, I, mean, I can't even hold on to this thing. You know, I just can't even try. Yeah. It, it hurts, hurts your hand. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I don't know. I um I almost feel like maybe morning pages are almost like a hobby. Yeah, you do them frequently. I do. What I are do. those? What are those for the for listeners? Morning Who pages. Might not know? Yeah. Three pages, handwritten, long form, just dumping whatever's in your head. Um. Yeah, and I do that with pretty good regularity. Although this week has been an anomaly in that on that front, but um, yeah. Um, you know what I think maybe is a weird hobby of mine? What? Human data. Really? I like all the data about me personally. 
as possible. And I think tracking data about myself might be a weird hobby I have. Interesting. Yeah. Um, which I'm looking forward to you joining me in this. So yeah. I've got like my Apple watch yeah, and I track all my steps and my heart rate and all that stuff. And then, as you know, I bought a fancy water bottle yeah. that yeah, yeah, now yeah. tells me when I'm thirsty, right? I don't even have to go. <laughs> God, that makes it all so much easier, doesn't it? Right. It's like, God, I don't have to go through the obnoxious bother of feeling these things anymore. It just tells me when I'm, well, when I'm thirsty. I mean, it's an interesting thing. Like if you struggle with issues related to like executive function, right? Like yeah, you need right. a little help. Like sometimes it's useful. Like, right. um, yeah, it's very helpful to have a water bottle glow. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, right. This does, human does. Does it start like glowing red or something like that when it's. You can choose the color. So I have mine glows with rainbow. Oh, but, that's cool. Um, it's like I was I was thinking like the, the longer you've gone without drinking, the more obnoxiously, you know, accosting the color kind of glows. That would be awesome. Yeah. I don't know if it would be because <laughs> there's a lot of room for judgment in there, it seems. Yeah. I'm gonna see how well, red I can get the, you know, I'm not gonna get a drink of water just because this is the rebel in me, right? Uh this I'm not gonna you I'm not gonna let some water bottle tell me when I'm thirsty. By God, I'll get a drink when I'm good and thirsty on my own. Oh, Rebel yeah. Paul. Rebel Paul always finds a way to enter into all uh, activities <laughs> in, like, in any way possible. You know, I feel like we haven't heard from Rebel Paul in a little while, though. Yeah, maybe not. We'll see. We'll see. You know, maybe, maybe being not. a rebel is a hobby of yours. Yeah, maybe. Um, typewriters, it's it, it runs a risk. Typewriters run a very big risk of becoming a hobby for me. Um, I know I have. If you've watched any of the, the YouTube lives, maybe you see it in the background, right? Right back here, I got a, I got one. Um, my father-in-law has a typewriter that um, he's going to give me later, mm. if uh, if that makes sense. Um, might just be the next time I see him, he might give it to me. He said, um, but you know, again, I found you know this great you know typewriter that I that I is my preferred one at a consignment shop in Southern Missouri. Mm -hmm. for 20 bucks and it's like this typewriter is in the metropolitan museum of art as a piece of it's like this exact same make model and everything and i'm like that's wild 20 bucks in a consignment shop in southern missouri and again it was the same thing it's like it, it was not functional when i bought it take it home now it works i type letters with it and i type stuff on it and you know believe it or not you can get the ribbon on amazon mm -hmm. of course of course you can um yeah so it's it's interesting how many of my hobbies are like old school writing. Maybe maybe I don't have two hobbies. Maybe I just have one. Well, it's I mean, it's interesting because I think you and I have the same hobbies in that respect because I also have like my preferred typewriter. Yeah, you have one too. Love yeah. my typewriter. Um, in fact, I'm looking into getting a um, a mechanical keyboard uh, like the one that you have. Yeah. Um, because of my love for typewriters, like there's something about that work that your fingers have to do to push the button. Yeah, it is work. Um, that um, I like the fact that it changes how I think. So that's why I like writing with them. Yeah, it, it is interesting. And I mean, I certainly type faster with a keyboard than I do with a pen as anyone I think would who's been typing for a while. Yeah, but still, there's no takebacks on this. I mean, once that once that key is pressed, there's no autocorrecting. I mean, there's no, you know, every every keystroke is a commitment. 
when using yeah. a typewriter because it's like, yeah, but you can use the correction ink. It's like, can you, can you, can you write? It's still, the ink is still on the paper and you can still see it. It's just covered up with something else and you typed over it. But, oh, it's there. Yeah. Well, this is the, intro I mean, so for the longest time as a writer, I only liked to type and I didn't like to handwrite anything. And in particular, I did not like to handwrite anything when someone else was watching. Because as you know, I'm, um, I've always struggled with my spelling. Um, and so I did not like handwriting things or typing with a typewriter because there might be evidence that I'm not oh, perfect. Yeah. But what's funny about my typed prose is there's plenty of evidence that I'm not perfect right. within them too. Um, right. But I think the more comfortable I get with the fact that like the goal of getting on the page is not perfection, but process. Right. right. Um, right. The more I'm able to even type with my typewriter and be like, meh, okay, we'll backspace and mark that out and try again. And yeah. it's fun. Yeah you know? Yeah. And then I actually find there's to be something really appealing about the aesthetic of a messy typed letter. Mm. I mean, it's, uh, it's all right there. It's honest. I mean, it's, it's a statement of this is who I am and this is how this happened. And you can see the, um, the process in the document itself, not just the, not, not just the words, but you can see the process of the person writing it. Yeah. Right yeah. there. You know, so it's not just, oh, they said this thing down here in the second paragraph. It's like, they said this thing and it's like, here was a correction here. No, they changed that word and they, oh, they went back in. And, oh, they didn't quite get their margin right. Right. It's imperfection is it's, is it's a, a, attraction. It's, it's a lure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. As it is with gardening. Yeah. As it is with gardening. I mean, you go to Safeway or Whole Foods or Moms or wherever it is that you, the listener, buy your, <laughs> your fresh produce right? And everything is just so clean and, you know, or organized and arranged and straight. And, oh, that is not how that came out of the ground. I assure you, um, there's a little more to it than that. And that's one of the reasons, I mean, one year I grew corn, just one, you know, and it's like, yeah, it's not hard and you can do it. And there are some concerns one may, must take and keep in mind when doing it. Um, but, it's like when you look at the corn plant, the stalk and the ears on it and everything is the finished product, right? Right before you pick it, it's like 90% of the, of the plant goes in the, in the compost. It's like the stuff you eat is like this tiny, small fraction of the thing that you're actually consuming. It takes up a lot of space, you know, oh, and yeah. it's not like we have an acre and a half, you know, it, it's like 300 square feet, 250 square feet. So it's like, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to burn precious garden space for something that 90% of the plant is going to end up in the, in the compost heap. And I'm going to eat it, you know, when I could go to Safeway and buy a thing or a piece of uh, an ear of organic corn for a buck. It's like, you know, one, one buck of organic corn at Safeway is not worth four square feet of garden space. You know, it's like, it's just, the math just doesn't work out. Right. It's not a dense enough product. And it kind of makes you wonder why so much of our country depends on corn. On corn. That's a podcast in its own self right there, isn't it? Um, Indeed. It's a podcast yeah. in its own self. So what makes, yeah. you know, what makes a hobby a hobby? Uh, enjoyment, speed. Yeah, because they're slow, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, because you were saying, you know, you don't like to be good at it right away. It's like, 
there's no way that I can know with gardening. It takes a year. You got a year. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why I don't have high tolerance for gardening. Like I, growing up, I always um, tended to my grandparents. They had a huge garden that I loved and I loved working in their garden. But part of that was like, there was a safety net of knowing they knew what they were doing. So I just show up and do what they told me. Mostly picking green beans, let's be honest. Um, But the last time I had, we had our own garden, um, you know, it's fine. But um, yeah, it's hard for me to to do a hobby that is slow and that is uncertain. But yeah, maybe I'll get better at that. Yeah. Yeah. With the chili pepper. Yeah. With the, with the chili peppers, like the hot ones, those bonnet peppers. I mean, that's 120 day grow time. It's like, I'll, I'll start those seeds in late February, early March. And it's like, well, we'll find out in August. (laughs) And any number of things could happen between now and August, you know, because that one year when it rained literally every day um, over the summer, it's like, I got a few, but man, not much. And eh, bad year. What are you going to do? Well, and so it's interesting how this hobby where you don't have a lot of control, like I wonder how much you actually learn from the experience, like those low stakes kinds of things that you learn in a hobby environment, because it's not the work that you do, right? But it teaches you to be flexible. Patient, patient, intentional, focusing on what's important, um, realizing that we don't always get um, the, I mean, the entire concept of immediate gratification is just out the window, right? Yeah. You know, you don't, you don't go plant some seeds because in an hour you want some lettuce, you know, it's like, Oh, what's for dinner tonight? Let's have a salad. I'm going to go plant some lettuce seeds at 2 PM. Right. So at five, I can it's like, obvi- it's stupid. Obviously it doesn't work that way. You know, um, as everyone, literally everyone knows. Um, but it's like, it's going to be, a, it's going to be you know, it's going to be 45 days. It's going to be 60 days with some lettuces. It's going to be a little bit, you know? So it's like, here it is, you know, we planted some stuff two weeks ago, two weekends ago up at the garden and it's, it's March. And you know, that those seeds go in the ground because I want to, I want a salad in May. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. It's so interesting because you've always said to me, like, I play the long game. Yeah. I play the long game. Um, and yeah, I don't think I necessarily roll that way, but I think I am getting better, right? As we think about the fact that April is coming and in thinking about intentions for April, yeah. I think I am getting better at being able to be like, okay, what do I, what do I want to plant now and see unfold in the future? Um, but I'm not sure that I'm at a place where I brought that to the hobby level. Uh-huh. Um, but I can definitely see like, okay, what do I want April to look like? What does April need to look like? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm interested in the the idea of bringing intentionality to the month of April in particular. And this relates, I'm sure, in some ways to hobbies. Well, at least in the way that I framed hobbies as a thing we do for enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Um, so T.S. Eliot tells us April is the cruelest month. Yeah. Right. And I believe that I always give my students a pep talk around this time of year um, that April is the cruelest month. And so when you're halfway through April um, and you think you want to give up on everything, pause and tell yourself, no, no, it's just April. Right. 
And I've been thinking about why in our kind of contemporary setting, why April might still be so difficult, even though T.S. Eliot warned us that April was hard like a minute ago, right? Um, and where I'm at with that thinking right now is that when April comes upon us, like the weather is like it is outside today, yeah. like beautiful and everything. painfully yeah. beautiful out today. Painfully beautiful. And everything in our world looks like it is beginning again. Yeah. yeah. But the way our lives work, especially as academics, but also just as, you know, people in the world, um, vacation season doesn't begin for a while. There's, there's not a lot in our contemporary culture that encourages beginning again, starting over in April. Yeah. So instead, right. we're like forced to live with whatever we did or didn't cultivate all winter long. Yeah, that's true. Um, and in the tailings of it, in the tailings of it, you know. What yeah. is that that I that I suggested to you? What was that yesterday, the day before? Gut it out, Spiegel. You're my, <laughs> we got four weeks left. Gut it out. And it's like, it's a beautiful day. It's April. It's spring. Gut it out. Should, <laughs> is that is that where we should be with this? It's like, what are we what are we doing? How are we squandering this spring? So that the phrase gut it out, you know, white knuckle it until the end as best you can, um, is a, is appropriate. But I mean, we've talked about this many times on the podcast, seasonal appropriateness you know, and how we sort of line up with, with seasons a little bit and whether or not we do. So Sherry, where are you going for your April vacation this year? I mean, who it's, it, you're right. I mean, it's not a part of any culture that we, that we have, you know, that's what summers are for. And um, what do we miss? We miss this reemergence of, of nature. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, the harshness of it is, I don't think we can afford to keep ignoring the moment of April, um, yeah. especially because I get very sensitive as we come into April, right? Um, the, the, the number of uh, school shootings yeah, that happen in the right, month of April, right, right, like right. it's undeniable, right? Um, so the fact is, I think we've been telling ourselves for a really long time to gut it out through April. Yeah. And it's not working, right? No. And so... I guess as like, we're thinking about how do we intentionally go into April and what do we do uh, to find joy and fulfillment in life? Um, I think April is the right moment to ask these questions, right? Like, yeah, right. Uh, you know, as I go into April thinking, you know, I don't know what hobbies I'm fostering on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, yeah. Huh. How's that going to serve me in April? Yeah, yeah. Or how's that going to serve you in May, right? When all of a sudden you got a little time on your hands. You know, what are you going to what are you going to do with that? I mean, it's not like you have to fill that time, you know, um, where it's like, oh, my God, summer's coming up. I have to think of something to do. I've never thought that, you know, nor, nor should we. But it does um, provide us with some opportunity to think about what intentions we want to bring in, right, as we wrap up an academic year. And, you know, do a little, um, I don't know how other folks do this, you know, if anybody is in academia at all. Um, but that is like recharge season for Dr. Paulo over here. You know, um, it's like, I'm going to walk around in the woods for three hours. I mean, that's, I do that on many days, right? Many days over the summer. That's where, that's where yeah. I am to be found. Well, and so part of me is wondering, like, 
you know, we've talked about this, like how very brain dead we are in the month of May after we come off academic contract, right? Is that the only way? Or do we hit that because we do gut it out through April? And why aren't we walking around in the woods today? Yeah, today or in October or in, you know, these these uh, Shauna has a phrase for it for me. She calls it my summer brain. So I go into summer brain. Uh, not much happens upstairs when Paul is in summer brain mode. And that is by choice more than, more than anything, but partially I can feel it coming. You know, we don't have too much cognitive thought left before there's going to be a break and it's going to happen one way or another intentionally or otherwise that uh, I'm going to stop thinking these fancy thoughts here in about four or five weeks. <laughs> I'm just going to kind of, shut down some cognitive thought, but, you know, and, and everybody tries to hack this a little bit, you know, how can, what, what could we, what could we have done to prevent this shutting down in, in, in April, this gutting it out, this hang on just a little bit longer. Cause we're almost done, you know, and, you know, talk about something else that we've talked about a few times on this, on this podcast, you know, what's the priorities on your calendar? Is it sleep and personal care? And what do I need? Is it spreading ourselves out too thin? Is it, you know, it's the result of what you prioritize is how you get yourselves into this mess, I think. And if you find exhaustion coming for you in April, you know, um, perhaps that's an an opportunity for for some to look back and see what it is they're prioritizing because I I absolutely know what your highest priorities are. Um, in any given moment, I just have to look and see what you're doing because what you're, what you do is always going to be your highest priority, you know, for for whatever reason that doesn't necessarily have to be an intellectual one, but you know, you can really only do one thing at a time. So whatever it is that you're doing is the most important thing for you to do right then. So it's like, yeah, I can always, your actions always betray you in what your priorities are. You've heard me say that before. I don't know if that's a 100% true statement or not, but you know, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what one thing that I want to ask our students about, you know, is what when I say, what are you actually going to do, right? How are we going to finish out the semester? What are you going to bring to it? On what intention would you like to spend the next month of your academic semester so you can end the strongest? And it's like, well, I'm going to stop procrastinating and I'm going to study more. It's like, are you? are you? That sounds good, but that's, there's not, there's not a verb there that is as actionable. So what does it actually look like? What does that look like? You know, what, what intentional changes are you going to make? Because a lot of things that I think of people would suggest are essentially the same as the one, one in one out book effect. You know, if you want to do something differently, you're going to have to make room for that intentionally, which means you might have to say no to something or cut something out to do it. Right. And I think, you know, the, the idea of gutting it through and like that idea of like, oh, I'm going to stop procrastinating. All of that starts from a place of self-judgment, I think. Yeah. Right. right. Like I haven't been enough. So in this last month when I'm super exhausted, this is when I'm going to finally be enough. Mm. I don't love it. I gotta be honest. Questions. I don't yeah. love it. I don't love it. But you know, one thing I have been thinking about, uh, Last, not this past December, but December, December before that, mm-hmm. I feel like when we went into winter break that year, you were like, you weren't cooked. You were like boiled alive. I was done. Right? Yeah. Like, put a fork were, in me. I'm done. 
Yeah, you were fried. You were like a twice-baked potato. But this December, when we went into winter break, you did not seem as though you had reached the same level of doneness. No, I was, I was okay. I was okay. Yeah. Saying no, saying, saying no to particular things goes a long way. Sometimes the plate could be cleared a little bit, you know, to make room for some different stuff. That's a little more intentional. Yeah. You know, um, and it's not some nihilistic, if you, you know, do what you should only do the things you love. If you hate it, don't do it. I mean, we all have things that we have to do that we don't necessarily love all the times within reason, within reason, yeah. you know, but we have these moments like this where it is beautiful outside and um, it can encourage us to reinvestigate what it is that is, you know, kind of sucking the, sucking the energy out of us that we'd rather put in something else that we love. Yeah. You know, and that requires intention, but what an opportunity that nature has given us to draw our attention to that, to that. I mean, nature is doing that. It's like, you know what, this whole being shut down for a while, it's not going to serve me well in the spring. So I'm going to grow some flowers now. And we're going to do some cool, some cool colors for a little bit and see how that goes. Yeah. I don't know if that's a perfect analogy or not, but well, I'm with you. I think, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. It, um, yeah, it is an interesting thing to think about as we come towards summer and even like some period of emergence as we are more shots are getting yep. in arms, right? Yep. Like, yep. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. But um, I don't know. I think uh, this is a very good time of year to think about what we invest our time in. Um, and how that um, brings us joy. And I, I appreciate what you're saying. Like, it's not just like only do the things you love um, because none of us can do that. Like, I don't know many people that would take the trash out. If yeah, right. What stuck to, right? Um, but I do think that there is something um, to be said for being very cautious of what we say yes to and why. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I was having a conversation earlier today uh, with someone at our institution, um, and I said, the pandemic has made me commitment phobic. Mm. I am afraid to say yes to something until I'm absolutely certain that I'm not going to regret it. Right, right. And I think that that's an okay place to be. Like, yeah. I don't regret taking the trash out. I don't love it. But I never am like, dang, I really wish... There's that a, chicken carcass was smelling up my house yeah, again. There's a long-term benefit to that. You know, maybe sometimes you do play the long game yourself. It's like, how's this going to end up in a month from now if I don't take this trash out? Um, but I mean, when I, when I told you or when I suggested to you a couple of days ago to gut it out, I circled back on that and I was like, I would only suggest that if it has a firm end date, right? If it's temporally constrained, you know, as, as long as like there's some boundaries on it, then it's like, I can gut it out for a week. I can gut it out for two. And then you circled back around with a better offering than gut it out though. What was it? Do you remember? You said something. It was like, maybe gut it out. It's not the best way to, to, to say that. Maybe it's, uh, I don't know. Like, you know, Paul, I don't listen to myself. Yeah, I, I know. It was just other people when they talk to me. Um, what did I say? I'm trying to like, this is why we record. Yeah, everything. this is why we record because we could cut this out. Because <laughs> um, we dig through WhatsApp to try to find a, 
that text. Right. You know, it was yeah. like, well, maybe gut it out's not the, the best way to, 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 to couch that. Maybe it's something else, you know, maybe it's uh take this opportunity to reinvestigate our, our, our reasons why we're doing things and to do them the best we can, you know, with something that has a, has a good end date on it. And I called it a final push instead of yeah, a gut it. Final, final push. Right. Yeah. Which maybe is, you know, you're running a marathon, the final push. Yeah. But this only works because, because of the nature of the academic calendar, we do have an end date, right? Yeah. Right. So you can push for that final push, but I think the number of things that you can choose in your life to be gutting it out with should be very, very small. Yeah, and if they don't have an end date, it's like under no circumstances should gut it out be. Gut it out until you die. Gut it out until what? Right. You know? I mean, this is like the hustle culture, right? Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, every day I am not hustling. Thank you very much. Yeah. 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 Like I can't. Some days I'm napping. Yep. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So ah. Yep. Uh, but that's maybe why we need the hobby. So we disengage. We remember what's what life is about that isn't about work. Right, right. We remind ourselves that we're more than just one thing, right? That there's all kinds of complexities to us that are unique and interesting and that can inform us. Because like, what what is the restoration and use of slow writing tools do because I mean typing with it, you were saying typing with a typewriter is really different than it is. You know, the keys are in the same place. It's a QWERTY keyboard. Yep. You really got to push pretty hard to get those uh letters on that paper, though. Cause I mean you do have to build up some finger dexterity. Yeah. You know, it's like I have to work for this. And it's more than than just in finger dexterity. I mean, it's a whole different mental game doing typing with a typewriter than it is with a with a keyboard. And you know, I don't want to be old and stodgy and say, oh, so much has been lost by, you know, using uh, you know, computer keyboards and things like that. Back in the old days, we used to get old rusty typewriter out and we would do it that way and uh i remember those days so well it's like no the computer keyboard is an amazing thing they work really really well and i seriously encourage their use however right um there's some there's some benefit that i get out of uh doing this kind of stuff the old way sometimes it's a good reminder to me that um bring some intentionality to what you're typing with that computer keyboard and that's not a bad thing yeah and i mean i think that there's there's real benefit in just exploring. Like, have we lost something by the fact that we write one way versus the other? Maybe, uh, maybe we've gained some things too. Um, you know, I get, as you know, I get a fair amount of writing done on my phone. Yeah, it's crazy. I can't imagine that. I just can't imagine that. Whole blog, you wrote a couple of blog posts like on your phone. I was like, I can't even. Yeah, I mean, the piece that you and I affectionately refer to at this juncture as the gazelle piece. Right. That got started on my phone. That's unbelievable. That's um, unbelievable. But uh, Julia Campbell in the Artist Way book, where she talks about morning pages, specifically says, don't type. It must be handwritten. Correct? Didn't, doesn't right. she? Yeah. She does. She does. And I think she has reasons for that. Um, and she's trying to encourage a certain way of thinking. Um, but there are whole hosts of reasons that people might resist that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, 
the resistance is interesting. Even with hobbies, like when I take up different hobbies, one of the things that I notice is that if it's not clicking, I will get a strong resistance. Like really? I'll be like, I want to do this. No, I don't. Um, one of them that I actually gave up, I used to paint all the Oh, really? Time. Like on canvas or? Mm-hmm. Oh, neat. Yeah. Uh, there are only three existing paintings uh, from that period. I think you might have seen them at one point. There's like three of them. Uh, they're like checkerboard. One day, may they fund your retirement. They'll be worth millions one day, I'm sure. Mm, if they last, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. They've been laying on the floor in my bedroom for about two months oh, yeah. now. I'm thinking they might find their way to the dumpster. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Hang on to them for now. Okay. Then again, it's not my real estate in my bedroom that's uh, taking up space gonna, with it. Yeah. I'll just send them over to you. You can hang them up between the three. <laughs> the three behind me. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. We'll go awesome. Ah, so there it is. There it is. Hobbies. What are yours? What are yours? Right. Um, it'd be interesting to hear what other people's hobbies are. Right. And you know, I think it, it's, it's, believe it or not, uh, it's complicated what, what it counts as one, but we know what they are. And I don't want people to pay me for any of my hobbies. Like, no, you know, I just want it to be an un, an untethered choice that I'm making. I think of this thing yeah. that I just get enjoyment out of just because I think it's cool. Yeah. And it restores something within me, but I don't know what or yeah. how or why or right <laughs> or when, under what circumstance, you know, I don't know, but uh, I dig it. Well, and I think maybe that's the point is you don't have to do all the thinking about it. It's just, it's just, it's just whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And maybe if April is the cruelest month, maybe maybe we should embrace more of these things that we don't do for productive reasons. Yeah. We just yeah. Do something for the sake of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Restorative indeed. So since we're recording live, does this mean we'll say goodbye and then you'll hit the closing number? Yeah. We have I'll a, watch you dance to that. Yeah. We have, I don't know if it's very danceable. I don't know. We do have a closing number though. Um, we should see how it goes though. Cause I have this other thing. But, you know, I can't really use that one too much. I got the closing number queued up, though. Um, thanks for everybody who tuned in live to listen to this, right? There'll be a recording of this that gets posted uh, shortly thereafter this this closes out. And I don't know, Cherry, do you think we'll do it again? I think we could do it again. Anything could happen, Paul. Anything can happen. Cool. So, um uh, I don't think we have anything cooking yet on the website uh, for upcoming workshops or anything, but those are cooking as well. It's a slow cook. Yeah, we got the slow cooker out for the next one. So, yeah, uh, doing a little restoration before we kind of hop in on that one. And so, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Yeah. Thanks, cool. everybody. Thanks, everybody. See you, Sherry. See ya. Let's see if this works. Ooh, it did. podcast is produced by Sherry Spiegel, Paul Fitzgerald, and This Most Unbelievable Life. For more information, please check us out at www.thismostunbelievablelife.com. Paul and Sherry have a podcast. Paul and Sherry podcast, yes.